You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. Kids should go to school. That's what we're going to do. I haven't flipped flopped. I said no originally, then I said yes, then I have said no, and I've stuck to it. I didn't need to do this. I've already done a lot of war for the election. The English fought a civil war over this matter, over this matter. Don't deal with the nuance of the Canberra bubble. I don't know what to do with it. We have so much money. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools. Issues that perhaps may be controversial today, but 30 years from now, your children, your grandchildren are going to be thankful that you stood up for what is right. Represent. 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 You're listening to Represent. Welcome to Represent, first show of the week. Our only what? show of the week. First show of the week. That's crazy. Um, how's it going, guys? It's we fun. have a super exciting guest. I know I was you very do, excited yeah. because I haven't talked to our guest for a while, and so I was excited to get him back on. Represent BFF. We've had it penciled on into oh. the calendar for a while. So welcome to the show, Matt. Dr. Matt Bark, the Woo. member for the Northern Northeastern Metropolitan Region, and. Um, now, every time you've come on, I feel like your portfolios have changed, yeah. but I don't think they have this time. I think it's Deputy Leader of the Opposition in the Upper House and Shadow Minister for Education and for Child Protection. That's right. That's right. Hey, that's good work, Brady. Great to be back with you, and I love that um, the show's BFF, apparently. Great. Yeah, yeah, we have a few... Reg- well, we have two regulars now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm your favourite. It's you and I'm Sammy Jones. Yeah. <laughs> he's only been on once so far. Yeah, exactly. So you're winning right now. Yeah, thank you. Definitely winning. Um, so we've yeah. started a new tradition. Yeah. And at the start of the show, we discuss our weekends now, um, because what's our reason that we want to be? I, I don't. We just did it once. To we we did it one time. time. Yeah, we did it once to <laughs> we did it once to pat the show a little bit, but also let's get like, get but a bit now of like it's like we're yeah. we're a family and we're bringing the listeners into our family. Exactly. It's like um you know we've got a strong family. We need to catch up. We need to catch up because we haven't yeah, seen yeah. each other for almost a, a week. week? Oh, Sometimes, except, except we caught up on Wednesday for the soccer, True, obviously. We soccer. Yeah, Naya ditched us. I'm sorry, <laughs> I had other friends to watch the soccer with. Oh, oh so damn. Um, we were just That's saying brutal. off air that we've all been watching the soccer. So, what did you think of? Um, it was Wednesday's game was England and then Sweden and then I don't know if you watched the final, the Spain and England one, which I did watch. Yeah, no, I did. Look, I just I thought obviously we played so well so throughout well. the tournament. I was worried in the uh, group stage that we wouldn't even get through. Yeah, after I mean, that it, Nigeria yeah. game, yeah, it was well. That's right. We lost to Nigeria, didn't we? And then we were coming up against Canada at the end of the group stage, and the Canadians are, are fabulous. Um, and then we smashed them. It was four 0 wasn't it? It was. I was there. And then, um, oh, were you? Yeah, oh, I've been looking for tickets for ages and just got some the night before on the website. Just got lucky. And then we sort of took off. We sort of took off from there. And I've read some interesting things since since we dropped out. And obviously, we we lost our our final game. Still to finish fourth is is such a great thing. About you know why we've all been so invested in in the World Cup and how come it had such such an impact. I mean, the viewing figures were incredible, weren't mm. they? Am I right in saying that they're saying it's that uh, match, the semi-final match? The England one, yeah. Yeah, it was the it most was... viewed... Is it the most viewed sporting event ever? ever. 
I think so. Since, since ratings began. Yeah. What is it? Seven point eight million. I think I, it was eleven. Was it eleven point fifteen? That's not. That's less than half of the population, but I definitely have read a stat that was like sixty-five percent of the population because that one doesn't include the it people in the stadiums yeah. like us at Amy Park. Yeah, and it also didn't include Seven Plus streaming as well. So yeah, right. It's like it just keeps adding on. Yeah. So I think they did eventually conclude that most of Australia watched the match, which yeah. is incredible because we've, as a nation, have never been interested in soccer before, really. Well, allegedly. Alleg- I think there's allegedly. a lot of people who dispute that well, now. Yeah. I'm sure the dozens of them can rattle off on Twitter <laughs> about it. But um, it's amazing that just, like, this, the performance of this team got a whole nation behind a sport that isn't really that big here, which is insane. But it's it amazing. Is. It's well, the now biggest, it is really. No, no, no. Uh, it's the biggest it, sport by participation in the country. Really? People just don't care about I never, it at I a never professional level because our leagues aren't like the European leagues. Right, okay. Interesting. Yeah. But don't you think also, obviously the team is really, really good. Mm. So Absolutely. When, when we're watching the games, we're watching you know incredibly talented sports people. And to finish fourth is an incredible effort in a in a sport that's played right around the world but i thought one of the one of the beautiful things about it is that we're so used to complete dickheads marring men's sport and here we saw you know amazingly talented sports people you know we we all fell in our house we fell in love with mary fowler for a range of reasons who didn't um, you really? know <laughs> sam, sam kerr you know the sort of build up and then and then the goal obviously mm. we didn't get over the line mm. was just oh incredible God. so the Amy fact Mark. that you know <laughs> Um, we thought what we were looking at were, you know, supremely talented sports people, all playing in a great spirit. They were obviously, you know, trying their socks off, um, but nonetheless participating in a proper spirit. So I think we could all get behind that in a way that so oftentimes I'm afraid we can't get behind some men's teams um, because of behavioural issues that we that we just weren't seeing. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think that's probably one of the things that people i mean i would i will be the first to admit i didn't care at all about soccer before this same yeah um but having seen a game that's not people just falling over and crying about their knee (laughs) that they want because they want some extra time or something such sooks exactly Mm. i think seeing people who are actually there to play Mm. and um, it was the England game where at the end they were just killing time and they were actually just trying to stop us from getting to the ball and it was oh, just yeah. so terrible. It was infuriating. It was, yeah. it was really disappointing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was It was infuriating. Another thing I think was really cool that I sort of noticed as well that I don't think gets a whole lot of attention but when we were sort of following this journey of the Matildas it wasn't the Women's World Cup. It was just the World Cup. Mm. It was incredible. Yeah. So it's really nice to sort of see that evolution for women's sport in general as well. But it still got called the Women's World Cup a lot. I, I felt yeah. like, you know, when people were talking about it, mm. we often just talked about the World Cup, yeah. you know, the, the game tonight, the soccer mm. tonight. But it still frustrated me that, you know, you're watching the telly and it was still being billed as the Women's World Cup. The so media, hopefully that yeah. shifts because, you know, who cares? And, you know, we were all more interested in these matches and this team than we have ever been previously in the Men's World Cup. So hopefully that starts to shift from here as well. You'd hope that this is a pretty good launching pad given how amazing the team has been and the incredible interest around the country. 
definitely. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Jinx. Yeah. There we go. Um, shall we go quickly throughout weekends and then get started, or shall we just get started? What do you reckon? I, I, I don't mind. Does anyone have anything especially notable from their weekend? Soccer was the most notable thing for me. It so- rained. It, it, it did rain, good I work. I still managed to get out on a bike ride, though, so I was very <laughs> glad because it rained, and then there was sun, and then it rained. It was sun, much like today. Yeah, well, there you go. I managed to get on a bike ride as well because I was going to a housewarming party on Saturday night, and I was like, I got home, I had a shower, and I was like, damn, I'm running late, so I hopped on one of those lime bikes and just ran. Oh, it nice. was oh, so, so fun. It was so great. Loved it. But, yeah, it was it was great. Yeah. yeah. didn't help that I had work the next day. But, um... <laughs> Well, speaking of things that we've been doing in the last few days, yeah, um, you've been at a rental inquiry today. So tell us what's been, you know, on the agenda. Oh, in particular, we heard from renters today. Mm-hmm. So a few weeks ago, um, members of the Liberal and National Party worked with members of the Greens predominantly to get up a, a rental inquiry. So it's into uh, the current rental crisis and the broader um, housing affordability crisis which we know is having a disproportionately negative impact on young people. So, you know, I think since that goose who was the head of the Reserve Bank said there'd be no more interest rate rises, I think they've been 13. So um, we know that people's mortgages have gone through the roof. We know that rents have gone through the roof. Um, In the first couple of days that we've been sitting and we're sitting again tomorrow, we've largely been hearing from renters. And we heard so many horror stories today. We heard from a young lady today who said that about two or three months after she moved into her rental accommodation, um, mushrooms, there's been a strong mushroom theme in the media recently, <laughs> mushrooms started <laughs> popping up in her shower. Um, Whoa, okay. So we heard, we heard some dreadful stories today and we also heard some more positive stories about the, the really positive benefit for individuals when you can get um, a longer-term rental property that really allow you to put down roots and become part of the community. So I like it that we've started hearing from renters themselves. Um, there are numerous members of the committee who currently rent. I've got my Liberal colleague, Joe McCracken, um, who's, who's a renter himself. Um, so that's good, but still to hear from people, especially people who've had a really tough time, who have bad experiences about being bumped out of rental accommodation. Um, ultimately, then we'll hear from a bunch of economists and, and other experts about some of the things that could be done. But to frame that around people's lived experience, I think, is a is a good thing. Yeah, I think that's so important. Absolutely. And I remember reading a story in the ABC a few weeks, maybe a month or two ago, um, and it was about it was sort of a little how to get out of a rent increase when it's kind of unfair. And there were three different examples that I read it and they all were getting a significant rent increase. One of the houses like had asbestos, one of them, the oven didn't work. Mm. And there was something like else serious. I think there was a hole in the ceiling in the other one. And these landlords are asking for increases in rent. And so these people had managed to negotiate downwards because of these flaws. But it's just like, oh, my God, how can you possibly be increasing the rent? So It's so unfair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you, I mean, obviously you're not the shadow housing minister, but as a party, have you kind of had any ideas in a party room meeting or a non-party room normal sort of meeting, you know, about how to combat this? So, yes, a few ideas. But just to touch on your point, Bridie, you know, we've heard a lot even just over the last couple of days, about um, some of the awful conditions that sometimes people have to put up with. We've also heard that you know, some of the systems that we've got at the moment may not be so bad. Some of the rules may not be so bad, but 
the way to try to work your way through them, especially through VCAT, the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal, the processes for which it is so cumbersome, and we've heard from lots of people that they've had disputes about some of the sorts of things that you talked about. We've heard a lot about mould, you know, leaky roofs, all those sorts of things. And when there's a dispute, and from time to time I suppose there will be a dispute, you, you ultimately end up at VCAT, where at the moment, because of the massive backlog there is at VCAT, you can be stuck there for a year or and a half or two years. So fixing that process, I think, is a priority. We've opposed some of the recent increases in state taxation on land because we've heard from all these renters that, you know, whenever there's a tax increase on um, the owners of the properties that they rent, whether that's through the federal government or the state government, whenever there's an increase in interest rates, for example, it just gets passed on. Um, and so one of the things that we want to do is decrease taxes on uh, land to ultimately then try to take some of the pressure off. I'm interested in some of the work of some of my colleagues like Evan Mulholland, who's a new member for what's called, I think, the Northern Metropolitan Region, but it takes in the CBD, about how we can get away from some of this nimbyism in, you know, inner suburbs, middle suburbs that have great infrastructure, you know? I get it, but, you know, we don't want a high-rise tower on every street corner. But we do have a pretty low-density city. And when you look around the world, other cities do better to appropriately, appropriately increase housing supply in a way that can be affordable to young people in areas where young people want to live. I don't want a city where we keep on pushing out young people further and further and further. So you've got to travel for hours on end away from the community where you live to get to work or study or whatever it may be. Mm. Um, now, that's tricky because... You know, sometimes people in established suburbs don't want more development. But I think there's a middle ground and we haven't quite got that right, I don't think. Yeah, we were talking about urban sprawl last week a bit, weren't we? We were, yeah, what with the uh, train line, with the yeah. train line that was semi-cancelled. Yeah, Yeah. well, actually, that's another one of our questions. Um, yeah. <laughs> we've seen a lot of, in like the last week or month especially, I feel like these... Trespasses. Train, just, yeah, the trains being down on a line or multiple at a time or in the city can be all lines because of trespasses. How can we increase the reliability of our public transport system? Like just the other day, it took me an hour to get from Flinders Street to Richmond because the train wouldn't move and so I had to go and get a tram. Like, oh because gosh. of trespasses? Yeah. You're saying that that example was because of trespasses? Yeah, so people just keep on walking onto the tracks or whatever and, you know, entire lines are down for hours people you know can't go to the footy yeah, the other day whatever. every every line was stopped yeah. at whichever station they were at mm. everyone was said get off so so that that is immensely frustrating when that happens i think there are some things that the state government can control and, and some that they can't i was really um concerned a couple of weeks ago to hear that um planned lines into the western suburbs. Ah, we talked about this last week. We also um, did, yeah. Are, are not going to go ahead. Now, you know, I represent what's called the northeastern metropolitan region. And through much of the region I represent, there's really good infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, not through all of it, but through much of it. Um, whereas I was with my colleague Trung Lu today, who's one of our members for the western metropolitan region. You know, folks who live in the western suburbs have nothing like the service that people who live in the eastern suburbs do. It's just not fair. The north is going gangbusters. And, and again, people in the north just don't have the infrastructure. So I think successive governments have allowed sort of ongoing development, which we've got to do because Victoria's growing and we want to welcome more migrants. But we've just got to be better, I think, at 
planning proper infrastructure, especially public transport, um, if what we want to continue to do is give people options to get out of their car. But for folks in the West and in the growing North in particular, that's just, that's just not possible um, at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was um, you, Brady, that talked about this. There was that front page on The Age where it was like if you're in the West and you wanted to get to the city oh, one weekend, yeah. you you had to go on it a bus. It was the first weekend of the school yeah. holidays and they've Dine and Road's closed and then Footscray Road was also closed or something like you actually just could not get from the West to the East that weekend because the trains were down and multiple roads. It was just ridiculous. Like, it was really bad. Anyway. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's just an anecdote. Absolutely horrible. And that yeah. was the first week of the school holidays, right? That was the first weekend, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, speaking of school, I um, <laughs> speaking of Good school, <laughs> I think this year we saw a pretty massive shake-up to the VCE system uh, with the... into. I don't know exactly how it worked. It was the sort of integration of VCAL into the mm. system, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, how have you found that and what's been your position on that? Because it's quite yeah. new. It's a yeah. massive shake-up. So we supported that legislation when it went through the parliament. I, I was a school teacher until just three or four years ago coming into Parliament, and I was always worried that the previous system set a real divide between the kids who did VCE and the kids who did VCAL. So I'm mindful of that, because I think we want to be sending the strongest possible message to kids that if ultimately you want to take a more hands-on route, you want to head into a trade, well, that's, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. And you can deliver just as much benefit to the community as somebody who goes through a more traditional academic pathway. So I think anything that we can do to try to break that divide down, and previously there has been a divide, is a good thing. Um, I haven't heard any negative feedback about that. Now, we're going to get access uh, tomorrow morning, I think, to our latest SNAPLAND data. So oh, that'll be... It's an that'll exciting be, day, guys. I know. <laughs> so that will be really interesting because obviously recently we've seen declines in many year levels, I mean, especially in literacy and, and numeracy, um, which is a real concern. So in that context, in the context of other reforms, it'd be really interesting to see tomorrow morning what that, what that data looks like. Yeah, that will be interesting, actually. I'm excited. Yeah? Yeah. I'll just be waiting yeah. to hear your thoughts on I'll be in group the group chat. chat going, come on, guys, yeah. Um, so something we've seen recently, I mean, this is not just a theme in, in the education sector, but we've seen um, several hundred jobs cut from the education department in the last couple of weeks because of budget shortfalls. How can we kind of re reconcile these shortfalls? Obviously, you know, the state's in a lot of debt. We've got to somehow make that up how can we do that without losing so many jobs in such an important sector i think it's really really hard you're right so victoria right now is broke we've got more debt than new south wales queensland and tasmania combined and of course in that context the government is trying to find savings a few weeks ago they announced that there'd be cuts in the education department which I was concerned about, but at least I was pleased that the government was saying that we know cuts to frontline teachers. Well, I mean, but they can barely afford... <laughs> Imagine if they did, like, there's already such a shortage. There, yeah. there is a massive shortage, and, and in quite a stunning move, the education union uh, in Victoria has been running full-page ads in both the Herald Sun and The Age, attacking the government on the basis that it isn't doing anything to try to deal with our massive shortage... On a day-by-day -day basis, the number of vacancies for teachers in Victoria goes up. I think today it's about 2,300. So that's a huge number and, and ultimately means kids in schools without teachers in front of them. 
Now, in all of that context, I was incredibly surprised to learn a few weeks ago that the government had decided to cut uh, initially 86 specialist teachers for children with disabilities. But I bring you good news, Bridie, today, because uh, last week I met with a group of parents, all the mums actually, of kids who either were um, completely deaf or blind. And they talked to me about the huge benefit of having these specialist teachers in the classroom with them. Um, I used to be a school teacher. I did a lot of professional development and I think I was reasonable at my job, but I would not have known how to support a child who was either deaf or blind. You need specialist support to, to do that. That's not talking down our amazing teachers. And eventually they managed to secure a meeting with the minister today, Natalie Hutchins, and so just we were having on the show in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And because just before we came on at four, just after four, she tweeted that um, she's she's backflipped and she will not cut these 86 teachers. Um, that they will keep their jobs um, just before. When you met me wow. downstairs, yeah. Bridie, actually, I was on the phone to a mum whose child has a very significant disability who was at that meeting. Um, so I'm very pleased that that's ultimately where we've got to. I think it's bonkers that the government was ever considering cutting teachers for children with disabilities. And I want to guarantee from the Minister that there'll be no similar cuts proposed in future, but all, all credit to, in particular, a group of mums who were just so, so strong in standing up for, for their kids and, and these teachers. So great news that 117 teachers ultimately will have their jobs saved. Um, but I want to keep a really close eye on where these other cuts will fall in the education department. I know we're broke, I get it, but surely we can come together. I'd like to come together to try to find savings measures that everybody can agree upon. So the government knows that politically they're not going to be attacked for making these cuts. Um, and also that savings are being made in areas that can sustain those savings, unlike frontline services to kids with disabilities. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And you mentioned before the um, slew of vacancies in teaching positions. Uh, in your opinion, because you used to be a teacher, how can we attract people back into that field and fill those vacancies? I think attracting people back is certainly one thing. Retaining the amazing staff we have is another. So we need a thorough strategy. Um, the union has a whole series of, of great ideas, um, as do um, external uh, bodies like the Grattan Institute. So one of the things the union has been saying is that we lose so many, especially young people, who are training to be a teacher in their final year. They get sent off to do placements in schools, which is so important to learn on the job from an expert teacher. But while they're doing that full-time, they oftentimes have to either quit their job or not work. And that's really, really hard for a lot of young people. So the union's saying, let's look at uh, a small payment to teaching students to keep them through that final year, to then get them into schools. I like that idea. At the other end, when it comes to retaining the amazing staff we've got, the Grattan Institute has been talking about putting in place a mentor-teacher model where we offer really quite high salaries to expert teachers to stay in schools um, providing frontline teaching services a bit, but also working with other teachers to help to support them. And again, I like that model because the moment we see that our teaching salaries sort of top out at a level that isn't particularly high, and then a lot of teachers then decide to go off and do management jobs. Now, if that's what people want to do, that's fine. But I think there's good evidence to demonstrate that a lot of those teachers would love to stay in the classroom if it was feasible to do so, and if there was a pathway there. So. Those are just a couple of ideas the union has put forward 
forward others. But the union's right. This is a real crisis now, and it's having very negative impact on kids. When we see classes being collapsed, so, you know, one teacher in front of 60 kids. Mm. We had a school in Craigieburn the other day um, petition the education department to just run a four-day week and said kids home because they just don't have the staff. Mm. So things are getting pretty dire, I'm afraid. Yeah, they are. I was um, yeah having a look this morning at sort of the education news and there was an article from January that just like a group of grade four, three or four kids were told, we don't have a teacher. Like you will have casual teachers for until we can get a teacher. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've had, had friends' schools sort of shut down quite suddenly. Yeah, due right. to they just can't can't keep the doors open. Yeah, so we can see um, we've had a lot about happening in sort of in the education sector. But one of the biggest stories was the um, payroll tax on private mm. schools that was mm. introduced in the budget. So can you explain to our listeners um, what the private school payroll tax increase or implementation is, and then you know your position versus the government's position? Yes, fine. So. Um, independent schools, uh, non-government schools, denominational schools like the Catholics and others have never had to pay payroll tax, um, which is, a, if you like, a, a, a tax on employment. Um, you pay per staff member you have. Um, and it was a surprise to me and surprise to schools to learn that independent schools would now have to pay payroll tax. That was announced in the budget. Initially, the government said that if schools had fees over $7,500 a year, 7500 bucks a year, then they'd be classed as high-fee schools and they would have to pay payroll tax, which for context would mean, for a school on those sorts of fees, about an additional $1 million a year in state taxation. Mm. Now, um, lots of schools pushed back on that and lots of parents. Uh, there was a strong campaign from a school in Greenvale in the north, for example, Aitken College, which has fees of about $7,500 from Oakley Grammar, on the basis that when people are working really hard to send their kids to a school with fees of about $7,500, they're not millionaires. Mm. And, and again, we get it that we're broke, and so the state government needs more money. Um, but we could do better than increase taxes on schools at that level, which ultimately, of course, will be passed on to parents in increased school fees. So in that case, too, there was a, there was a back down from the government and they set the threshold at $15,000. So schools with fees of $15,000 or over will now be forced to pay, pay payroll tax, which, again, we oppose. So our position, you asked, Bridie, is we oppose that, that tax increase if we get into government we're committed to reversing it because in Victoria about 42% of families choose to send their children to an independent school to a non-government school and we don't think it's right at a time of cost of living crisis to increase pressure on families who make that decision but again I actually bring good news today I was just talking to Jess Wilson who's the member for Q the, the, the government's got a hit list of 60 schools who are going to have to pay this increase in payroll tax. One of those schools is a little school in Kew with only 25 kids called Arndale School, and it caters for kids with very significant learning needs. Um, now, the minister, Natalie Hutchins, had repeatedly said that, no, no, this school had to pay its fair share of tax, but after a really strong campaign from the school and from Jess, who's the member for Kew, just today, the minister announced that Arndale School is off the list and so they won't have to pay that payroll tax. So that's good. Uh, um, 
it's really troubling that so many bad decisions are being made in education. The cuts to specialist teachers for kids with disabilities that now won't go ahead, so that's great. Payroll tax increase for even schools that are that small that cater for kids with special needs. We're getting some good outcomes after sustained pressure, but I do worry about the decision-making that led to some of these calls in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's all part of the government trying to make up their debt, which they, which we've we've seen a lot of, obviously. Um, and just sort of out of all of it, big big question, I guess. Where would you suggest we find savings? We've got to start first and foremost in the infrastructure portfolio, I think. So, um, Bridie, you. you quite recently had a crack at me and that sort of every time I talk to you I've got a different role. Now I'm very hopeful. <laughs> I didn't mean that as a crack. No, no, it didn't like... sound like that but it's true I've, I've bounced around um, and in the lead up to the election when I came and spoke with you I had the infrastructure portfolio Yeah. and there have been about 30, 32 billion dollars in blowouts in the infrastructure portfolio um, and I sound like I'm an sort of advertising the Grattan Institute. Um, I don't have shares in them but, but uh, the Grattan Institute says that what we should do is a really thorough audit of every single major project. All the major projects that are currently underway need to be finished, right? Several of them will deliver really significant benefits, um, like uh, Metro, right? Uh, that's a really good project. Now, I don't think it's been well managed and it's blown out, but ultimately it will be a really good project. Um, but what Grattan says is that if you carry out a really thorough audit, then you will be able to find ways of saving billions of dollars through the infrastructure portfolio um, before the election. Um, I think I said this on your program. Um, I said that we needed to shelve the suburban rail loop yes, on the basis that <laughs> yeah. the Parliamentary Budget Office, which this government set up actually to interrogate our costings, um, said was going to blow out to $200 billion. Now the government will start that project um, Unlike our political opponents, we'll never break contracts. So if we win the next election, we'll need to deal with that. Um, but I think that would be the first place to start. Because when you're fiddling around with um, tax increases that are really significant for schools, but in the grand scheme of the budget, very small, that school's tax is only going to bring in about $200 million over the next few years. Now, now that sounds like a huge amount of money. It is. But in the context of our debt, um, it's not much you know sacking 117 teachers who support kids with disabilities that'll bring in a little bit of money but not much i actually think strategically there are some bigger things that, that we can look at to um to save us more money would have been a good idea not to not to pitch for the com games when we knew that um there would be such problems because it looks like we're going to have to fork out about another 600 million dollars not to run the com games i think they did announce that today they reached the settlement that was I over 600 was million 380 million was it yeah. 380 so, so the figure the exact figure the cancellation fee if you like is 380 million oh, right. but then you've got to factor in all the marketing that's already happened there are many people on very good paying jobs actually in local councils tasked with helping to deliver the infrastructure for the Commonwealth Games. Now we'd, we'd love the full financial information from the government to see how much it will be um, and again the Liberals and Nationals worked with all members of the crossbench, uh, the Greens, the Cannabis Party, range of others to secure an inquiry into the Commonwealth Games process to see how the government got it so badly wrong. So we'll be able to call expert witnesses, look at the finances, 
to get to the bottom of it. So, I mean, hopefully a debacle like this can never happen again, but obviously the, the, the damage to our finances has been huge in a cost of living crisis. I mean, think, what could you do with that money right now? You could deliver massive cost of living relief to families. And also, we've become a laughing stock on the world stage. So we can't do anything about that. But hopefully that inquiry at least will ensure that nothing like this ever happens again. So do you think cancelling the Com Games wholly was probably a good idea? Well, the government says that the costs magically blew out. In the budget, and then at the Public Accounts and Estimates Committee, which is the budget committee, the government maintained that its initial costings were right. Two or three billion dollars. Still a lot of money. But then they said that it had blown out to $7 billion. Now, nobody knows how on earth the, the costings blew out like that. For context, the last Commonwealth Games cost $1.5 billion in total to stage. Mm -hmm. So we need to get to the bottom of how it is the costings blew out. Um, even the Premier over the last couple of days has acknowledged, albeit he hasn't apologised, has acknowledged that the business case for the Commonwealth Games was rushed and not thorough enough. So, call me cynical, what it looks like to me is a pre-election con job. It was very popular before the election to say to a whole bunch of regional communities in marginal seats, you're going to get the Commonwealth Games in your community, a massive increase in infrastructure and all the positive flow and effects of having all those tourists and international athletes Everybody loved that idea, of course, in regional Victoria. Why wouldn't you? To then after the election say, oh, whoops, sorry, can't do it. We're going to break that contract. Yeah, it's an yeah. interesting sort of yeah. dilemma. I think really. everyone will wait with bated breath until someone explains yeah. how... how because it could... I mean, I'm sure there could potentially be a reasonable explanation as to why... Such a well, it's still a big number. Went to an even bigger number. Like, these are numbers we can't fathom. Yeah, yeah. Well, have you heard any ideas sort of around Parliament that you can reveal to us as to where the numbers <laughs> blew out from? Any insider knowledge? <laughs> no, 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 no. I haven't. I mean, I take the point that we know at the moment. I'm afraid that for a whole range of factors, it's really costly to build infrastructure, and. A model like the one that was put forward by the government where you had a com games across multiple sites was always going to be more expensive. Mm -hmm. So it did look like something that was going to cost quite a lot. Um, so certainly what I've heard from some people who've had a look at some of the information that's been forthcoming over the last few days, some information about the business case, is that that was underdone and never, never really got at the full cost. Now, there's more to it than that. But even on that level, when you're, when you're pitching for something that is going to have such a significant cost impact, well, you, you need to do it properly. And even the Premier has acknowledged that that didn't happen. But no, I, I, I honestly haven't heard anything particularly good. If I do, I'll let you know about <laughs> how you. on earth apparently things went one week from costing 2 to $3 billion and then the next week to costing um, $7 billion. Well, we start with sport, we end with sport. I reckon that's <laughs> probably a good way to bookend the uh, the interview. Exactly. Um, any final thoughts from you guys? How great sport. <laughs> <laughs> I only yeah. say that now that I've watched the World Cup. Like, mm. prior to that, I'm like, who wants to talk about sport? Yeah, that was very much. I can confirm, off air, 
and on air, that's Naya's attitude. <laughs> <laughs> but I think so many people feel like that. Yeah, you know, I, I work with people who, you know, not sports fans, don't like the footy, don't like the sort of sports that we see on the telly so often, but got so into the into the soccer and so into the Matildas. So hopefully that's a bit of a game changer for 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 lots of people. Yeah, definitely. Let's start a Absolutely. represent soccer team. Do you want to join? Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to. That'd be so great. I think great. we'd be outrun very quickly. Yes. Have some faith in us, Oh, no, not by me. No, 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 no. I'm sort of big and, and tall and slow and uncoordinated. So I don't know if I'll be much use on your team, but I'd love to play. Well, are you much of a sports guy, Matt? I used to play cricket badly. Yeah. And now, but what I've found with age, so I'm 40 now, is that... All you've really got to do is sort of stick at something. So I've never been a good runner. Um, I'm not a good runner, but I've sort of stuck at it. And so now I waddle along. And, and the other thing is, you know, you, everyone would love to be a good 100-metre runner. Yeah. But, you know, to be a good 10K runner or, or half-marathon runner or marathon runner, or a decent one at least, you don't actually need any talent. You just need to Commitment. put your shoes on and go and waddle around a lot. That, that's right. So I quite like that narrative that... Even though I'm, I'm no good at it, I don't have any talent, it's quite fun to go and waddle around. And the older you get, the f- more, and more, people, um, more and more people drop out. Yeah, just stick with it. Exactly. Just, just stick with it is the message there, yeah. So inspirational. Well, a good, on that note, a good message. Um, thanks so much for sticking with us during this interview. Anytime. <laughs> um, yep, we've had a great time. It's been great. Um, Yes. We'd love to have you back on soon. Of Definitely. course. Definitely. I feel Great. like we need our sort of every few months update. Yeah. Now that exactly. it's confirmed that we're best friends, I, would, I would love to be back very soon. Maybe right. we can all go on a run together and we'll just like hold all the mics. Bad idea. Great. Right. Right. <laughs> I think it'll be a short interview, but um, we'll see how we go. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. You are listening to Represent on Sin. Stay with us. We'll be back after a song or two. You've been listening to a Sin Media Podcast, where young people run the show.